First things first, rest in peace, DMX. Pour one out for the dog, everybody. With that said, thank you for joining us. Today's Tuesday, April 13th, 2021. I'm Trey Crowder. That's Mark Agee. What's up, Mark? What's up, Trey? It's a little, uh, a little sad about how the Amazon Union vote went. Uh, yeah, yeah. We spent a lot of time on it last week. Didn't didn't go our way. Went uh, Amazon's way two to one. But like in a way, that's kind of to be expected, right? That's what they do. Yeah, I mean, they did a bunch of fuckery and surprise, right. surprise fuckery it works. works. <laughs> I mean, the the, the original uh, uh, population of that warehouse was like 1,600 people, and Amazon uh, moved 3,000 people in there that apparently when you hire Pinkertons to uh, do personality profiles on all your employees to figure out who's pro-union who's anti-union to track all their work communications and so forth, you can tell pretty accurately who you want to transfer to Bessemer to vote against the, uh, the union. So right. that shit works, man. Yeah, right. Well, it's, it seems like effectively they're – propaganda boils down to like if you do that your job will be fucked up if not if not gone entirely right and it's hard to that really sucks but it's hard to blame you know just a regular working person for being freaked out by that you know or for that being effective yeah, it's, I mean, this would happen if you don't have an actual like uh, control, like a government with who's interested in protecting its people because their their right. pitch is like, look, if you don't let us fuck you over, we're going to move to a place where there where we'll we'll yeah. be able to fuck over other people who will have your job now. Yep. So uh, I don't know what you, what the answer to that is, other than <laughs> I know I, I I understand why people would vote against it. It's like, oh shit, I'm barely surviving now. If they take away this job from me, I'm fucked. You know? Yeah. So, yeah, I don't know the answer either, but I think it, you know, could begin with, um, like you said, a government that actually gives a shit and does things about issues like that and helps out working people, which we will get into a little more later with our our guest this evening. But uh, with mm-hmm. us, as always, is producer Matt doing the damn thing. This is Weekly Skews. Tonight, we dive into the latest maddening example of police brutality from the increasingly typical state of Minnesota. Also... Johnson Johnson's having themselves a little vaccine trouble. Should the rest of us be worried? We'll give you our opinion. Then, as I just referenced, we'll have a conversation on one of our favorite subjects here at the SKUs, the future of progressivism in rural America with two people on the very front lines of it, Stephen Smith and Katie Lauer from the organization West Virginia Can't Wait. I can't wait for that talk and for the rest of the show. It's going to be a great one. But first, as always, we begin with the Daily Dumbass. Matt, graphic, please. We got some great ones for you tonight. We got some great honorable mentions, but for our first dumbass up top, it's going to be a little different, actually. If you've been following us for a while, you know that former President Donald J. Trump has been honored countless times in this segment for his dumbassery. But tonight, for the first time in the history of the SKUs, Trump will designate our daily dumbass. That's right. I'm not going to say anything else. Let's just hear it. Matt, play the clip, please. Ago, Trump called Senate Republican leader. Mitch McConnell, a, quote, dumb son of a bitch. (laughs) I love that clip. Like, uh, it's just so it's like it's always better, I think, when you're like distance from Trump and he isn't running your, you know, the country that you live in and and all that stuff. And you just hear the shit that he does and says kind of like secondhand like this, particularly when the target of it is someone like Mitch McConnell. But the context of all this makes it even funnier, right? No. Yeah. He's a, uh, a, I mean, when, when he has no power over you and the only person he's torturing and making miserable is Mitch McConnell. It's fucking, he's amazing. He's perfect. Right. I love him though. Yeah. Uh, but the context of this is so Trump is stealing money. Uh, that's what he does. But one thing he's done is told a, 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 a small dollar donors to not give to Senate Republicans instead to give to him so he can decide who needs to be ch- primary and whatnot, which is a nightmare for McConnell, of course, because uh, Trump wants to primary uh, everybody who's sane. So they've been kissing his ass to the point where uh, I think Matt has this. They, they, so the, NR, the, the Senate campaign committee, a Repub- one of the Republican fundraising arms, rented out Mar-a-Lago this weekend to try to buy Trump's love so he'd stop fucking making their lives hell. It was at that event that he roasted Mitch McConnell. Yes. So, yeah. It, it, uh, not just in, it wasn't <laughs> just like they held this event to like try to curry his favor. They they really, they really pushed the boat out. Matt, put up that, uh, the screen grab if you've got it. Of what, Here we go. Yes, President Donald J. Trump receives first NRSC Champion for Freedom Award. <laughs> 
they made up a Freedom Award and even got a little Freedom Bowl to go with it and presented him yeah. with it. <laughs> yeah, I mean, uh, another way to put the the inaugural version of an award is we made up this award to give to this moron. Like they just basically dumped some candy out of a bowl and handed it to him and said, "You're the champion of freedom." And right. he's like, "Thank you, I appreciate this gift very much. I'm going to still make your lives hell." Yes. Uh, it's awesome. <laughs> yes, yeah, that was the context of which he called Mitch McConnell a dumb son of a bitch. It, but I mean, like, I gotta say, like, it seems like a good plan to me. You know, like the plan they had when where Trump is concerned. Give him an award called the Champion for Freedom Award. It comes with a nice little bowl or whatever. Like you could expect that to work, you know. But yeah, yeah. They, they caught a lot of shit for it. Republicans ridiculed for gifting Trump made up tiny bowl award. What a wonderful headline! That uh, I mean, <laughs> like uh, there's a there's a the piece in New York Magazine today, like talking about why Republicans are so like they're so mad at corporations for like, moving out of Georgia and putting out putting together these like Chamber of Commerce statements about like how to, uh, uh, you know, how to push back against uh, um, uh, Republican, you know, the uh, Jim Crow efforts to, to curb voting and shit. And it, it made the point that, like, all these people who'd split the bill for four years who were, like, not going to be super pro-Trump, but just kiss his ass a little bit and not going to feel full never Trump, they could take the judges and the fundraising and the tax cuts and not have any of the stain, the bad shit, any of the stink on them. And what they realized is even though Trump's gone, they did not, they did not get away from the heist clean. They are fucked. And because corporations are chasing young people. It's what they do. Young people tend to be more left wing. So there's nothing Republicans can do to Delta or Coke that's going to actually affect them because old people don't spend money on shit. So um, they got no leverage here. They got no card to play. They're talking about raising Delta's taxes. But Republicans are going to raise, aren't going to raise corporate taxes. Their only reason to exist is to cut them. So they're just uh, they're they're just they're just screwed, and it's it's a fun it's fun to watch them be a little tortured, even though they're going to win the long run because evil always triumphs over good. But if only <laughs> if only there was ever a story written with a moral about how like getting easy wishes or deals with the devil or uh, you know like like uh, monkey's paws how they work and how they never come out good in your favor. If only somebody felt right. to tell them if those only stories. Never been told before. If there were cautionary tales about yeah. dealing with the devil in this way. Yeah, mm -hmm. but you know, when your whole thing is dealing with the devil, uh, and then the devil starts telling calling you a dumb son of a bitch, like that's just kind of what happens. <laughs> where, <laughs> where do you go from there? Uh, all right, our first honorable mention tonight. Uh, for Daily Dumbass, this particular White House reporter for coming at Jen Psaki with some weak shit. Matt, play the, play the clip there about Biden's tweets when you got it. <laughs> uh, Senator John Cornyn called Joe Biden's tweets unimaginably conventional and said that his comments were largely scripted and questioned whether he was really in charge. Does the White House have any reaction to that? Well, I can confirm that the President of the United States does not spend his time tweeting conspiracy theories. He spends his time working on behalf of the American people. Boom! <laughs> well, so, like, I kind of like the subtext of this that's like, uh, seems like his tweets are, like, scripted and stuff because... They are like grammatically correct and, you know, properly written as opposed to the previous president or you could tell it was tweeting for him on behalf of himself because of how insane everything was. And so does that mean that he's out of touch and not spending enough time uh, connecting with well, Twitter yeah, America? Cornyn's trying to uh, the normal Republican move is you walk right up to the edge of conspiracy theory and let somebody else fill in the dots here. Right. So he yeah. he's doing that uh, dot 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 coloring in the line, connecting dots thing to try to try to say that Biden isn't really president, that he's just a puppet without actually saying it. Um, so he definitely he actually almost he said who's in charge basically. If, if nobody's writing Biden's tweets and he's not doing public appearances, how do we know he's actually being president? And my answer is, I don't if. If the things that are happening are mostly uh, I'm in favor of, I kind of don't care who's then doing who cares? them. Also, like, but dude, who <laughs> we that's, that's kind of what I'm saying about the subtext of like we shouldn't want him to be the one who's actually tweeting. In my opinion, you know what I mean? Like he has better shit to do than be yeah. tweeting. Like I hope it's not him who's actually tweeting from his account because he's got other shit to preoccupy himself with. Yeah. Um, it is 
it's I mean apparently like they they spent the last four years thinking being president was only being culture warrior in chief. So if Joe Biden's not going to be involved right. in the culture war, then what is he doing? Essentially, it pulls right. down to the argument. But it's just like it's another way in which they're fucked and out. I mean, they're out to lunch. Like they've been trying to figure out a way to poll against the uh, infrastructure bill. The best they, they've got. It's like 70. They, they, American people love it, like 75 to 25. They got nothing to go against it. So they're doing conspiracy theories about, you know, whether Joe Biden's a puppet. I don't care. Yep. All right. Our next honorable mention uh, had to come back up. Congressman Matt Gates for a lot of reasons. Uh, yeah, we got a few different things to cover here as far as this goes. This guy, he's really boy error of in an era of you know dipshit monkeys flinging shit in that party like he's really uh-huh. he's really out here doing it breaking new ground they don't even know what to say about him and for evidence to that point let's watch this fox news clip where they were asked allegations jessica why are not only other republican leaders but most prominent media conservatives not out there defending matt gates we don't have a, a clip to play from fox I think for two reasons. One, the allegations are incredibly serious. And, you know, we all have friends in life that, you know, maybe go down the wrong path. They marry someone we don't like, but not all of them end up being sex traffickers. Um, And we didn't Venmo all of them $900 to be distributed by potentially to potentially underage girls. And then the second element of this is that Matt Gates isn't particularly liked. Uh, He's brash. He's insensitive. um, He's crude in a lot of ways. I think that a lot of people, even Republicans, look at stunts like what he pulled in the skiff with the Chick-fil-A or wearing that gas mask on the floor, mocking Democrats who cared about their personal safety uh, when the COVID-19 pandemic was breaking out, which obviously has claimed you know, well over half a million American lives at this point. So Matt Gates has done his best to not make many friends. Uh, President Trump is still his friend, but even that statement that he issued, you know, two sentences me, uh, saying me, he didn't ask me for a pardon and he didn't do it. Let me get let me jump in and get to that. So the uh that is chef's kiss on a lot of levels the the first part yeah. of the argument said like well no one wants to defend him because well we've all been involved in relationships where the person turned out to be a sex trafficker that's one and two <laughs> the second part of it is it's not his fault nobody likes him it's like just fucking amazing i love it right well i, I feel like the first part of it was being like look we've all had you know previous relationships hell not that long ago we were talking about old girlfriends i was talking about how mine is a QAnon lunatic now i'll tell you that mm-hmm. that's fine She's not a, se- a child sex trafficker. You know what I mean? Like it's hard, like hard to defend a previous relationship when it's that hardcore. Also, it doesn't seem like it's that much of a previous relationship, right? The guy they're talking about is old Greenberg, Joel Greenberg, who um, they mentioned the nine hundred dollars. You got that screen grab map put it up there. Gates. They were using Venmo for the public purposes. Venmo, public, public transaction, yes, right, dude? I like listen. I take. I take. I take acting classes and use Venmo to pay for it. And I put those on private because I don't want my buddies busting my balls about me trying to be a <laughs> thespian or whatever. Right. I do that. Yeah. They are publicly Venmoing child sex trafficking monies in full view. They've since deleted them, but they're so this article that you could see here, the first two paragraphs of it, just listen to how this is laid out in two late night Venmo transactions in May of 2018, Matt Gates sent his friend, Joel Greenberg, $900. The next morning over the course of eight minutes, Greenberg used the same app to send three young women varying sums of money in total. Those transactions amounted to $900. The, the memo field that you fill out, Gates wrote, the first one he wrote test, but in the second one he wrote hit up blank where he included a girl's nickname. And then when Greenberg turned around and made his payments to the three young women, the reason he wrote in, you don't have to write a reason in, the reason he wrote in was tuition, school, and school. So, I mean, it's really just front and center with the uh pederastery here like i mean they're not even yeah. trying they're trying to get caught deadly <laughs> yeah new york times right before you came on uh, had a new story come out that says that greenberg has been cooperating with the fbi since the middle of last year which that'll be that should be fun for gates uh and he, one of the things that greenberg told them is they did give these women cash and gifts in exchange for sex uh one of the women they venmoed is now in porn um, right. If you're wondering if they if she was there a person who would have sex for money, the answer is most definitely yes. 
Yes. But, Mark, a lot of the public fully supports Matt Gates, And you can tell by how he describes it himself. Listen to how much people support him. Matt, play that right. next clip. We have your back. That is the sentiment I have heard from thousands of Americans at restaurants, walking through public parks, sometimes just out on the street in emails, online donations. And I can't tell you how much it means to me. This past week has been full. There you have it, Mark. People are literally yelling at him as he walks through the yeah. park. They're stopping him in traffic to say, hey, we love you. You're great. <laughs> Go sex with teens. That's what yeah. they're saying to Matt Gates. We're all for it. it. This reminds me of like, I had a buddy that I grew up with. was one of those pathological liars, you know, because like of deep mm -hmm. insecurity. But his parents had some money. So he always he had like nice cars and stuff, but was not. He was not otherwise, you know, in our parlance, hitting at all. And he used to tell us, he would come over and tell us stories, be like, dude, on the way over here, two girls ran out in the middle of traffic and made me stop just so they could get my phone number. Like, he used to say shit like that, you know, all the time. Yeah. And that's what Gates reminds me of here, except, as we've pointed out before, he's a U.S. congressman <laughs> saying yeah. this in a public speaking setting, you know? People are just yeah. screaming at him, we love you, Matt Gates. We think it's great. All uh, the diddling you're doing. To, to backtrack a, a couple of minutes, I think I'm, I'm more concerned that something I said a few minutes ago sounds like I was against uh, making fun of sex workers or against sex work, and I'm pretty libertarian on those fronts. I just think no one should have sex with Matt Gates for any reason. That's pretty sure. just going to be clear. But no, yeah. I know what you, but you were just saying like, I mean, it's yet another sort of, I mean, I think I know why you're saying what you're saying now, but I think it was yeah. a valid point to make. Yeah. It's like, yeah. you know, this is the person who he was doing all this with. There are, are literally no reasons to doubt any of this as far as I've seen. No, I mean, you, so you like, there's, it, it seems like, I mean, I know people are under jails with, for way less evidence and less contradictory stuff. It's like, so I, I don't like, I don't know what you do. If this guy's being framed, it's a fucking masterful frame job by the deep state. Just fucking right. killer. And again, running theme, they all know it too. And you could tell mm -hmm. by the way they react when his name actually isn't even yet brought up when it's about to be brought up the way they yeah. react. Matt, play this yeah. next clip. Governor Santos, more off topic. What do you make of the allegations against uh, your former? I don't. Have, I don't have anything to say. Anything else? Anything else? <laughs> don't even get to his name. Like, what do you have to say about your former? Uh... Yeah, he's like, okay, that's good. I don't. I don't. Uh, I don't. I don't have anything to say. Yeah, I mean, DeSantis is going to be running for president in twenty twenty four. He doesn't need this clip. <laughs> right. Yeah. All right. So. um Yes, Matt guys. Oh Lord, what a dumbass. A dumbass for the ages. I got a feeling this particular dumbass saga has not yet been sang in its entirety, Mark. I think there'll be uh, more to come. Um, yeah. So moving on, as we mentioned up top, as I'm sure many of you have seen today, big news in the COVID world, the uh, Johnson & Johnson single-use vaccine. It's been recommended that the U.S. pause all administrations of that particular vaccine. The reason for it is um, six people, six women, uh, not that that necessarily matters, but it's true. Six women from the ages of like 18 to 49 have developed blood clots after receiving this vaccine. Now, those yep. six women are out of a total of 6.8 million women or people 6.8 million people americans who have received the vaccine so out of what the organizational or the uh, regulatory organizations themselves called a quote abundance of caution they are pausing them but what kind of effect do you think this is going to have on vaccines in this country uh well i guess the good news is that this Scientists have fucks up their every aspect of the communications over the last 14 months. So no one's listened to them anymore. So I don't think it'll have any effect on any of this. Because <laughs> the, the, the sheer amount of panic over this, we just went through this with AstraZeneca. They did the exact same fucking fuck up where, where how the shit get construed. So six people out of six million have blood clots. Um, they pa they're pausing the thing to make to see what happens, to see if any more people have blood clots, and maybe we need to double check the math and the science or whatever. But to give you some perspective, I think one out of every 3,000 women or 30,000 women who takes over-the-counter birth control is going to have blood clots. The, the math, like, it's just when after AstraZeneca had this problem, they had like four people in um in their in their in their study come down with blood clots. 
and everybody freaked out and like they had to come out and be like look that number of people whether or not they got the vaccine would be expected to develop blood clots right right we didn't promise you the vaccine would make sure make you never die <laughs> we cannot i'm right. sure like two people in a study have pianos drop on them the, the vaccine doesn't have shit to do with that i don't know if the vaccine has shit to do with this but the panic around it is dumb i think it's probably fine I would take yeah, the Johnson, I know. Johnson well, that's, vaccine. That's the only thing that I'm worried about is any kind of, like you said, panic <laughs> surrounding it because there's no reason to panic whatsoever. As Matt yeah. has pointed out over here in the comments, he said, this proves how serious they're taking safety. They're throwing themselves under the bus for six people. But yeah, I mean, it. like if anything, it proves how well regulated and the degree to which they are, you know, taking the safety of these vaccines to heart that that kind of failure rate is mm -hmm. caused to like shut the whole thing down. There's absolutely nothing to freak out about at all. Uh, no. But I just, anytime a headline like this comes out, you think that like the people that were already ready to shit all over the vaccines will take any opportunity they can to be like, see, look there, see, God damn it. Yeah. And you know, and we, that ought not be allowed to happen because it's not, yeah. it's nothing to freak out about. Uh, NBC News is online disinformation reporter who covers a lot of anti-vax stuff. Called, uh, her name is Brandy Zandrosny. She went on uh, MSNBC today and said, called it Christmas for anti-vaxxers, which Absolutely. it is. Absolutely. Right. So. Exactly. That, and that's the thing that worked. I mean, they did what they should. They did what they need to do. I'm not mad at them for doing it. But, like, that's the thing that, like, upsets or worries me is because, yes, it's Christmas for anti-vax. They're uh, just going to latch onto it even though there's nothing to latch onto. But what um, can you do? America's Americans don't understand science. Our textbooks right. are written by people that think politicians who think dinosaurs were here four thousand years ago. Right. So uh, we're just fucked on this. Forty percent. I saw forty percent of Marines have turned down the vaccine. So yeah. uh, if, if, if if this was a Chinese uh, virus engineered to weaken our national security, it's absolutely succeeded, but only because we're fucking stupid. So forty percent of Marines. Yeah. U.S. Marines. Well, they should like hide the vaccine in crayons or whatever. So then they'll, they'll, eat it, they'll eat the crayons and they'll get it automatically. You know, it's like hiding a pill in your dog's food or something. That's what they should do with the Marines. Uh, I, I, then your death threats to Trey Crowder. Yes, I know. Uh, I know. One of my absolute best friends is a Marine. That's why I'm aware of the jokes. I'm just yes. making a joke. I know I don't have the right because I'm in the armed forces, but still. Yeah. If you were, wanted to if make you were a little funny. If the audience was all army dudes fine. or navy dudes right yeah. now, you'd be you'd be murdering. Yeah, they'd yeah. love it, right? But no, I, <laughs> yeah, my good buddy James Bain, U.S. Marine Corps, and he taught me all those jokes. Here we go. Anyway, I met James. Yeah, yeah, James. He rules. He's one of the best people I know. Anyway, um, so before we get to our guest here in a few minutes, we are going to talk about the latest situation in Minnesota, as we mentioned earlier, it happened not uh, ten miles from where Derek Chauvin is standing trial for killing George Floyd. A twenty-year-old man named Dante Wright was shot and killed by police. Uh, after a, you know, routine traffic stop, he he had a warrant for his arrest that came up. A, you know, disagreement ensued. The lady cop who shot him yelled, taser, taser, as he was scuffling about in his car. And after yelling taser, shot a firearm once, which is what ended up killing him. He drove off, died from the wound a little bit later. But that just happened this weekend. Protests have been escalating and, you know, we're back here we are again. Great timing, too. Not that there's ever a good time for something like this to happen, but they seem to have a sixth sense for doing the worst possible thing at the worst possible time where all this shit is concerned. There, there's so much that's like, like, okay, so I've been thinking a lot about this. Like, I thought, but last summer, I think we talked about this somewhere, like, um, like George Floyd's would galvanize people because it's horrific. But to me, um, um, I, uh, the Louisville. I'm, I'm blanking on her name right now. The one we got killed Brianna in Louisville. Brian Taylor was yeah. it was a much more typical and evil example of how the right. system works because of how it, like like it was the shocking depravity of watching the guy choke the life out of a person on camera for nine minutes that that mobilized people. It's, it's easier to say that's like that. Obviously, it was very like sociopathic and heartless and whatever. But like this is just the normal course of how business works. And right. so much of this, it's like they did a pretext stop about either, depending on who, who you ask or what, what day the news is, either it was an air freshener hanging from his uh, uh, rearview mirror or uh, he didn't have county tags yet on his new car he just got. Um, 
say pull them over pretext stop, which pretext stops. The Supreme Court has said those are fine. You stop a person for their false pretense just to just to fuck with them or to double check their papers or whatever. So you do it to stop this guy. They run it. They found out he has a warrant out. The warrant is for a, a failure to appear in court. He didn't rob a bank. He didn't commit a violent act. He didn't do anything. Like it's just like he had been arrested for weed and I think uh, uh, gun possession or something, and he didn't show up for his trial. Show up for your trial. You're supposed to show up for your trial. Also, they would have never known that if they didn't stop him for some bullshit. Right. Um, it escalates. It escalates. She appears to have genuinely believed she was firing her taser, which is it's not the defense you think it is. One, right. it's it, it, for the, the department's using it as a defense. Like, oh, it's just a mistake could have happened to anybody, except it's like the, off of that is your defense. You're essentially saying, look, it's not our fault. All we all we do is have very poor hiring standards and training Dude, or even like, right, It. Like you said, it's not the defense they think it is. Because, like, okay, even if that's true, okay, I believe you. She thought she pulled her taser out, and it was an accident. But, like, that is crazy that that's such an, a simple thing to have happened. Like, Look, it could happen to anybody. It's like, it shouldn't be able to happen to you. They should be, like, very different weapons, you know? Like, it that shouldn't be a mistake that it's you're even capable of making. I know, heat of the moment, very intense situation. But, like, it, I'm, it's just one of those things where, like, that just it that don't make it okay that it's like oh this could happen very easily so it just that it shouldn't <laughs> that shouldn't be true what you just said also, that it could happen that easily it shouldn't happen you just ran his id you know where he lives let him drive off go to his house and pick him up after shit's calmed down like right. it's like it's not this is this wasn't some big one he wasn't wanted for like a major crime <laughs> you can really let him drive off you absolutely can like like driving off from a from a traffic stop is not a death penalty offense. Um, and and like, here's the fucked up part about this. I suspect if she gets convicted, it'll be precisely because she, if you watch the video, she seems to immediately feel like she fucked up and she didn't mean to shoot him. And so her, def usually defense in this is I was afraid for my life and I had to shoot and they always get off into that. Right. She obviously isn't going to be able to use that defense because she immediately right. showed she'd fucked up and showed, uh, uh, um, you know, uh, when you feel, but she felt bad about it. So that's that defense is going to work. So she's going to, she's going to end up, <laughs> she's going to end up in prison for being honest about her mistake is, is the tragedy of the situation. She just owned it and said she was really scared to big, the big, bad black guy driving a truck. She probably would be get off. And, and like she, they're going to ask, they're going to say there's a failure of training. She was a veteran of 26 years in the force. She was a field training officer who was training someone when she did this traffic stop, as Derek Chauvin was a field training officer, who had three trainees with him when he killed George Floyd. Uh, she was the president of the police union. She's helped other officers get away with bad killings before. Everything about this just stinks all the way through. And I hate it. It sucks. Nothing's going to change. And this is just going to keep fucking happening. Yeah. And uh, th this this is something like uh, um, uh, Dante Wright's aunt gave a press conference today. And she pointed this out that uh, uh, one of Wright's teachers when he was in school was George Floyd's girlfriend. This is how fucking common this is. Dude, that's so, it's like this. I mean, I know that's like the definition of coincidence, but that's why that's crazy. <laughs> it, it's always, you know, it's like you said, what like, if, that's how common it is. That's how small of the world that whole, you know. Yeah, it's to, uh, to, it's just rough. It's rough. It's a rough subject, yeah. rough situation. And they, the uh, cops put up. They started flying a blue. They were flying a uh, the thin blue line flag the day after the shooting at the police at the core at the uh, police station. Like they don't feel bad about this at all. <laughs> like not even the, the shooter's the only one who does. Is the fucking weird part about it. Her life's probably. I mean, she deserves to suffer some serious consequences. You shouldn't. You shouldn't be doing bullshit stops and, and, and harassing people until they, they escalate to the point where someone dies. It's, you're really bad at your job when you do that. <laughs> yep. Uh, well, you know. Until next time, uh, I guess we'll <laughs> uh, move on for now. Let's get uh, to a different subject, a better subject. I hope we'll see how the <laughs> conversation goes. But we got some wonderful guests for you. Um, Stephen Smith and Katie Lauer. Stephen Smith is a co-chair. They are co-chairs together of the organization West Virginia. Can't wait. Stephen ran for governor in 2020. He is organized with the West Virginia Healthy Kids and Families Coalition, the Illinois Co Coalition for Immigrant and Refugee Rights, and the Harvard Living Wage Campaign. He is also the author of Stoking the Fire of Democracy. As I mentioned, Katie Lauer is his co-chair at West Virginia Can't Wait and is the architect of the movement. Katie is a national trainer for 
Training for Change and the co-founder of the West Virginia Mine Wars Museum and West Virginia Trainers Project. Katie is currently working on a series of articles that tells the story and gleans the lessons from the West Virginia Can't Wait movement. So with that said, welcome to the show, Stephen Smith and Katie Lauer, everybody. Hey, y'all. Hey. hey. Hello. Hey. There you are. Thanks for joining us. Yeah. Yeah, that, yeah. Glad to have you. Sorry for the uh, depressing lead in, but you know we're going to do America in twenty twenty one, right? So, <laughs> yeah, depressing is the, the only thing we have to choose from these days. I know. All right, I know. That's right. Um, no, but so, you guys are working to make things better, so that's better than what we're doing. So let's talk about that to. for a little bit. Yeah, good on you. So West Virginia, West Virginia has come up frequently. Uh, also, it's one of the, I'm ashamed to say this, but it's true. It's one of the few states I haven't been to yet to do stand-up mm-hmm. comedy because I haven't been able to make it work out. And I'm, uh, it's the number one on the list of places I haven't been that I want to go to because I know that that's, uh, <laughs> that's my people there. Uh, got love for West Virginia. So we were talking last week and at the top of the show about the situation in Bessemer, Alabama with the labor movement there. And West Virginia is kind of, you know, in, in a lot of ways, sort of the birthplace of like American united labor disputes right west virginia is the 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 state of the working man right and because because of that democrats have kind of reigned in west virginia for a long time but you look at the way it looks now and you have people like joe manchin and you still see a d next to their name but something seems a little off about it, it seems a little different Can you guys talk about that dynamic in the state of west virginia yeah there's a lot there katie you want this one Sure. I mean, the short answer is corporate Democrats have reigned for a long time. And so, you know, starting a few decades ago, Joe Manchin um, and his posse used the architecture of the Democratic Party to gain power. And now we're left holding the bag. Now we're left with the results of that. And so um, one thing we say, one thing we say is in West Virginia is that uh, our politicians don't have D's or R's after the name; they have dollar signs. And I think Joe Manchin is a prime example of what that looks like in our state. So um, I think I think one of the things that folks might not know about West Virginia—that's something that um, gives us a lot of hope for the state and has been a big part of our organizing work—is there's about as many registered independents in West Virginia as there are Democrats and Republicans. And one trend we've been seeing over the last few decades that we've been seeing in other places in the country is that folks are so fed up with the corporate establishment of both parties that they're leaving them. And I think what that means is that folks are paying attention and that there's a lot of potential to um, for working people to, to come together and win major victories in our state. Right. So kind of on that note, um, Saw a stat in 1996, roughly 65% of West Virginians were Democrats, 30% Republicans, 5% independent or third party. By 2016, 20 years later, 45% Democrat, 30% Republican, 25% independent or third party. And so the thing, the takeaway there is that a whole lot of people in West Virginia left the Democrat Party, but did not necessarily go to the Republican Party. The Republican Party line kind of stayed static, but the Democrat Party uh, membership in West Virginia you know, took a bit of a nosedive in those 20 years. What's the uh, explanation for that? Yeah, well, there's uh, there's two major myths that we hear over and over again, sometimes even said by West Virginians about West Virginia voters. One is the myth that West Virginians vote against our own interests. And uh, when Democrats held power for 82 years and your life got worse, your mm-hmm dad's life got worse, your granddad's life got worse, is not voting against your own interest to stop uh, voting for a kick in the teeth, right? The other myth that we hear all the time, especially in the national media, uh, is that Joe Manchin is popular in West Virginia because he's a corporate Democrat. The truth is uh, his brand of uh, corporate Democratic politics works really well for him and has decimated the party and the labor movement in the state, right? That as uh, Joe Manchin's star has risen, the Democratic Party of West Virginia has tanked. Um, And uh, that also shows us a path out, right? That rather than buying into this national narrative that uh, West Virginians are at the bottom of every list, that we're poor, that we don't know what we're doing, that we vote against our own interests, we can instead look to our history for examples, whether it's 
John Brown or the Battle of Blair Mountain or the teacher strike two years ago that uh, when you look at what happens at the top in West Virginia, it's often uh, this sort of highway robbery by out of state interests. But when you look at the grassroots, what you see is people who know how to take care of each other, know how to fight back and know how to fill in when the government fails us. And that's that's the root of what we're doing. It's not something we made up. Uh, it's something we've seen and are trying to stoke uh, a fire that already exists. If so, I, why is Joe Manchin a Democrat? <laughs> I'm trying to I'm trying to figure that. Like, is it is there, is there any core Democratic Party belief or liberal belief that he has? Um, is he decent on labor issues at all? Or like, I'm trying to figure out what what is it about the party that appealed to him, or is it just a better avenue to power for his particular personality? Yeah, I mean, the Democrats were in power for a long time when Manchin was ascending to power, right? So it's the it's the quickest vehicle to um, to his own, uh, to build his own presence and build his own power in the state. One thing we've seen interestingly or, uh, uh, expectedly with, uh, different political leaders in our state is they also just flip back and forth between parties. So our, our sitting governor, uh, Jim Justice is a perfect example of this mm -hmm. where, uh, he ran for office as a Democrat was actually supported by Joe Manchin and then he switched parties and now he's a Republican. And, what we see in the state is there's this sort of opportunistic uh, good old boys network that works across parties. They share consultants, they, sh they help each other get elected, and they go which way the wind's blowing. And so when Joe Manchin began his political career, the wind was blowing in that direction. And uh, that's, why he, <laughs> that's why he's a Democrat. And so what we think we need in the state is a movement that can take on that good old boys infrastructure um, regardless of party leadership, and that's what we're that's what we're up to. Why why do you guys think that? So right, you've got a long history of working people movements in West Virginia, still alive and well. You know the teacher strike from a couple years ago and whatnot, and you track that along with that it was a very again Democrat state for most of that time because that used to be the party of working people, right? And then we see this precipitous fall off and Democrat membership in West Virginia in the past 20 years. Why do you all think it is that I know we call it corporate Democrats, but why do they just leave that sort of ball on the field? Meaning like big, how, how is it lost on them that that's such an opportunity for, you know, not even like staking a claim because they had the claim already, the Democrats, I mean, being the party of the working people, but like reinvigorating it, you know, being the ones who speak to, just working people that used to be part of what they did. Like what, what happened to that? And why aren't they still doing that now in States like West Virginia? Yeah. I mean, you'd have to ask them, right. I mean, yeah. I actually think that I don't want to glamorize the history of the democratic party in West Virginia. There have always right. been people uh, at the top who have used both parties uh, to do right by them and their friends. And, and that's why, the project we're in is not about the Democratic Party or persuading a few politicians. We say, you know, our job isn't to persuade uh, those people who have never had our interests at heart. Our job is to replace them. And that's yeah. that's the work that what we're interested in is governing power, because anything less than that is just uh, watching West Virginia get worse slower. And so that yeah. that, that focus on governing power is sort of the core of what we're doing. And the way that shows up is a few different ways. One is that, you know, we contest for power during elections. We build uh, political machines and help working class candidates run campaigns, field, fundraising, communications, et cetera. If you're someone watching this and you want to run for office, you're not alone and we'll walk with you from start to finish. Um, governing power also means helping those folks once they get elected, you know, in, in 2020, we had 101 of us running together, pro-labor, uh, no corporate cash candidates running up and down the ballot, uh, most of us first-time candidates, actually representing the people of the state. 13 of us got elected in 2020. So part of our job as a movement is to support those folks who got elected, make sure they have the policy help and the legislative aids um, and all of the stuff that you need when you're governing, but you don't have if you're a working class person. And then the last piece of the puzzle is mutual aid. As West Virginians, we're used to pitching in when the government 
fails us. And whether that's, you know, setting up a harm reduction program in your county when there's an HIV outbreak or whether it's uh, driving your pickup to help your neighbor during a flood, like we're used to that kind of neighbors helping neighbors. And as a movement, we think that's an integral part of what we do is showing up when the government so often fails to. I think the other thing I would say about the Democratic Party is that part of why it worked when it worked is because there was enough organizing among working people to hold it accountable and to push it. And so, you know, the history of labor unions in West Virginia is incredible. And mm -hmm. what labor unions were able to achieve in the 1920s and 1930s and 60s and 70s, I mean, just I hear like stories from old union coal miners about the things that they endured and fought for on picket lines. And it's the it's a thing that the state is made of. We don't have that kind of organized working class power in the state. And so if we want a Democratic Party or a Republican Party or any kind of party leadership to actually work for us, it's going to take rebuilding the kind of working class infrastructure that, frankly, the state has lost and many parts of the country have lost over the last several decades. Like part of what we're up to is we've got to build institutions that can fight for it because the party leadership isn't going to do it on its own. Kind of on that note, what do you all think about Bessemer in Alabama and the Amazon uh, situation there recently and the outcome of it. I mean, I, you know, again, you guys are kind of on the front lines of these labor movements in one of the states most steeped in the, in the history of labor movements in this country. How do you all feel about that right now and, you know, going forward, seeing that result? You know, I read this great article by Jane McAlevey that was just sort of like a, a post-op on what um, she saw happen in the state. And the I think the big takeaway I had from it is, um, from, from her writing about it anyways, is that um, you've just got to get door-to-door, face-to-face, and do the relational work that adds up. And one of the things that's happened to our organizing over time is that we've swapped out in-person, like knocking on doors kind of work for uh, social media campaigns and digital campaigns. And I think there's a place for that in our work and we need it. And I'm glad there's a podcast tonight. You know, I think we need this kind of stuff. And there weren't house calls that were a part of that campaign. Like part of what we got to do is get, is double down on the relational work that adds up over time. And I think the thing that's hard about that is it's going to take a while. It's mm. going to, we're in a generational fight and it's going to take a while to do that kind of work. But that's also the kind of work that's going to add up and mean that we can win. Mark, yeah, uh, it's sort of like a, 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 the mutual aid aspect of it's like really always important, I think, because it's, Hard to be villainized as like villainized as like some like uh, a horrific communist is going to hurt you in the camps if the person's mm. helped you helped you fix you fix your porch. You know what I'm saying? It's it's uh, interesting how political movements work and so I I, I, I um, and I like the you know sort of screw it I'll do it attitude of this. Like we kept we kept asking about Joe Manchin. You're like we don't talk about Joe Manchin. It's like we got a hundred people running because we're just going to get elected ourselves and do it. It's, you know because he's not going to get out of the way. That's Take right. The, the best way to uh, persuade an establishment politician is to work like hell to replace them. This, mm -hmm. you know, uh, what they uh, we think about uh, Mansion or Capito or any of these folks, they're like uh, a ball player, right? That uh, uh, they love the spotlight, they love to win. It's it's a game for them because uh, politics is a game for them because they have nothing for real at stake, right? So it's just it's sport and. Uh, if you're a ball player, you only have to answer to two forces. One is your coach, right? That's your base, the party, whatever. In West Virginia, Mansion's uh, base is Mansion, right? It's the Mansion machine. Um, or you have to listen to your opponents. You have to react to the people who are uh, challenging you on the field of play. And so um, we don't think we're going to win with uh, uh, even the smartest messaging in the whole world or uh, the best social media campaign alone, we're going to win because we challenge uh, those in power at the ballot box. We challenge them by doing what they fail to do. We challenge them by uh, claiming governing power for ourselves. Um, and that, as Katie pointed out, uh, is unglamorous, day-to-day, -day, uh, courageous work that actually most working class West Virginians are used to doing. And, and our job as organizers is just to kind of stitch that together and, and breathe a little life into it and support that uh, energy that's already there on the ground. 
So Manch is kind of at the center of the filibuster debate, right? And trying to the idea that uh, the Democrat Party right now, while they have any measure of power that they have, should just get some policies in place, you know, as much as well as they can and try to get rid of the filibuster and all of that. And I just want like Mark and I have talked a lot on this show in recent weeks about our opinion that put as many of these policies in place as you can. And if they if they work the way that we all say they will work right and help people, regular people, then you'll be fine and you won't have to worry about like backlash or whatever if your policies really do help people. Um, and do you all, you know, do you agree with that? You kind of like you talked about it not being about like forget the Democrat Party or Republican Party. We're just trying to do what we need to, to do to help the people here. But that's kind of what it comes down to, right? Like if, you, if the focus is on helping regular people and put more money in their pocket, then the rest will kind of work itself out right or at least hopefully i think we're both maybe chopping at the bit for this one i'll go first katie and then I'm, i'd love to hear what you think i mean i you know newsflash joe manchin and shelly moore capito don't work for us they right. aren't trying they didn't get elected to deliver good things to the people of west virginia i know that breaks your heart to hear but uh, <laughs> all evidence to the contrary you know, you can make an argument that at most uh, uh, Senator Manchin has uh, gone to bat for working people three times in his 30 year political career. And every single time was because he faced an imminent, credible local threat to his power. I mean, th this is um, it's not surprising. What he's doing is not surprising mm -hmm. to anybody uh, who lives here. It's it's literally how he got to where he is. Um, and for folks who are outside West Virginia and uh, get excited about what's happening here or interested in what we're doing, just encourage folks to reach out that um, uh, whether it's supporting the work here on the ground or even just learning more about West Virginia, it's it's infuriating to us to watch the stereotypes and the national news circus surrounding uh, the senator and our state and all of the things that are said about it. So if you're watching this and you want to get more involved or hear more about what we're doing, just reach out. We're easy to find online um, but uh, we're always happy to talk about the, the real story of West Virginia, which makes it a lot easier to understand what's going on at the national level and I think is instructive for those who want to build long-term power here. What would you add, uh, boss? <laughs> Just that I think, you know, I think we, if we're not careful, we'll also let Manchin sort of drag us through the mud. So one thing we keep seeing Manchin do is say no to a major Democratic agenda item and be in the national headlines from three weeks about how he's positioning himself around it. And then he'll come out as a yes, three quarters of the way. And my very strong sense from, from operating in a state where Manchin's operated for a, for a decade is that he's gonna keep doing that. And so I think the good news is for Democrats that are worried about how Manchin's gonna come down on key issues, the answer is that I think he's gonna get most of the way on them. And I think the danger for us is if we make him the focus of our attention, if we go on the roller coaster ride or we, we, we play a role in the play that he's already orchestrating, we could end up spending millions of dollars and thousands of collective hours chasing him. And our calculation is we've just got to build something else instead. Mm -hmm. We've got to take him on or we're just going to be in the place that is the weakest position for organizers, which is constantly responding to someone else instead right. of building our own powerful infrastructure. Well, it's kind of that that idea of like, you know, trying to work with them or whatever. And it's like, no, just get rid of them. No, just leave them alone. <laughs> just get, yeah. yeah, right. Like, don't waste. Don't forget trying to work. That's never going to work. Just go without them. That's the only thing you can do. Right. So. <laughs> right. All right. So uh, before we let you guys go, you've already kind of touched on a little bit, Stephen, but I want to give you an opportunity, both of you to sort of explain to people how they can support what you got going on there with West Virginia. Can't wait and how they can follow you and keep up to date. And yeah, lend a helping hand if so inclined. Yeah, so we're gearing up for 2022 right now and uh, would love folks uh, support in doing more infrastructure and base building here. So what that looks like for us is running some rural media experiments. Thank you all for running a rural media experiment. Uh, it also means we're recruiting candidates and getting ready to uh, build out a series of people's platforms around the state for the next cycle. Um, we'd also love to talk to you about how we can build infrastructure that takes Mansion on directly as opposed to appealing to him. Um, so you can find us at wvcantwait.com and we are 
more than happy to hop on the phone. So just drop us a line there. Yeah, if you're watching this, um, chances are uh, you're someone who is already in the fight one way or another is thinking about hopping in. And uh, I'll just say, uh, in addition to what Katie said, if you're someone who's been involved before or never been involved before and trying to figure out where you fit and what kind of courageous action you could take, whether that's organizing your own workplace or neighborhood or running for office, uh, we love being in that moment with people who are deciding uh, where they fit in this movement, that that's, that's the question for all of us is how does each one of us contribute to this, um, uh, this thing, whether that's West Virginia can't wait or uh, just something fighting back in your own backyard. Uh, there's, no, there's no individual action too small that we wouldn't love to be in it with you. So if you're listening to this, we're easy to find online. Uh, my cell phone is 304-610-6512. Uh, we'd love to hear from folks. <laughs> It's incredibly brave, incredibly brave thing you just yeah, did, man. Yeah, <laughs> right. well, Matt, Matt you told us you give out your cell phone number on the campaign trail, so I know this is your yeah, usual mo, but uh, it still still seems crazy to me. But go for it. Yeah, uh, thank you all very much for. Uh, Thanks for what y'all do. Yeah, yeah, appreciate y'all. Appreciate it. All right, Stephen, Stephen Smith, and Katie Lauer, everybody, West Virginia can't wait. All righty. Yeah. I love it. Again, I always, I'm always, I'm just, I'm always so inspired by people that, you know, like do stuff. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. Yeah. As opposed to I love us. people that do stuff. Yeah. We talk about stuff. I, I run my mouth. I love running my mouth, but uh, yeah, people that get out there and like do stuff. I just respect it so much. So yeah, and good for them. I'm feeling so inspired by this. So guys, Trey's cell phone number is. <laughs> <laughs> Don't you do it. Don't you do it. I should Listen, just give people are mean to me, all right? <laughs> it's it's a little different. Not like as if people aren't mean to them too. I'm sure they are. I'm just yeah. out of weak constitution. Um let's see. What else had come up? What were we gonna what do we got? We're taking comments and questions for everybody. Uh hit us with whatever you got about oh, uh before, well, so we didn't get to get to it earlier. Have you watched any of Gutfeld uh trade? Yeah. yeah, so uh <laughs> Uh, if y'all don't know, Gutfeld is a new Fox News show that's like attempting to be the Fox News version of the Daily Show, I guess, because, you know, everybody always says conservatives can't do comedy. And let me tell you, proving that right, Matt, play this, uh, pl play the clip. It's gut busting stuff. Watch your sides. Oh, Make yeah. sure they don't split. Um, oh, Matt said he had the clip. Matt's and then a, Matt he says, said, oh, shit. Oh, shit. I took it yeah. down. Never mind. Well, I'll, Never mind. I'll just tell you. Well, first of all, there was a lot. They did a lot of things. But like one of their big leading bits on Gutfeld was where they impersonated Brian Williams and he was given a report, a field report from the surface of Mars. Uh -huh. He's like, yes, I took a helicopter to Mars. And while I'm here, I have invented the COVID vaccine and fist fought a woolly mammoth or whatever. And I, by the way, I didn't make those up. I put them in a different order, but those are actual yeah. things that they said. <laughs> so, you know, got that riveting fresh off the, uh, the presses, yeah. Brian Williams humor. If you're not if you're not fully schooled in Fox News Cinematic Universe brain, the joke there is six years ago, yeah. 10 p, the 10 p.m. MSNBC news host Brian Williams got caught making up a story about flying in a helicopter in Iraq or something. Yeah, and he lost his job hosting the NBC Nightly News, was suspended for a while, came back as going MSNBC, and apparently this is still worth talking about in 2021. Um, Right. Yeah. Matt pulled the daughter was in Get clip. Out. Yeah. This is a different clip from Gutfeld to give you an idea of the tone Matt got got ready for. So play it. Uh, not today, but we'll invite the bunny back for a future briefing, as always. Uh, but the bunny's wearing a mask. Hmm. So that's where Adam Schiff's been. <laughs> Boom! <laughs> Boom! Boom! I love the I love the punctuation mark they put on the joke with the gut fail falling down. It's like fucking got him, baby, got him. <laughs> I, I didn't know. I don't know where Adam Schiff was supposed to have gone. I mean, impeachment's over, so I guess he's not a big deal anymore. But uh, yeah, I don't know. I did. It made me feel worse. Trades the other night, like uh, one of his horrific monologues. I tweeted what I thought was a self-deprecating joke about how I can't believe they used all the jokes in my packet but didn't hire me. Right? Yeah. 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 The number of people who thought I was sincerely complaining about not getting hired for gut fail yeah, <laughs> was it hurt my feelings on multiple levels. Uh, one, my joke didn't land on Twitter. Two, apparently people thought I'd write that lovely joke. So I'm going to go put my head in the oven. We have got an electric oven, so it's going to take a while. Uh, <laughs> 
Yeah, well, I mean, I have to be completely honest. A lot of the sort of like monologue joke examples from Gutfeld that people have been making fun of are like, they have that different bent to them, the different slant, but they're they're not that much cheesier or whatever than a lot of late night monologue jokes are. If I'm just if I'm keeping it real here, you know, well, it's still funny and it's easy to make fun of, but like it's kind of a lot of it is kind of par for the course in that. I, I think they are, but but the way worse, but because they're 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 they start from a point of view of being ideological and then work backwards from there. Right. Because if you're going to do an hour long uh, political comedy show that has to be for the Fox News audience, what you're going to end up talking about is Brian Williams. And uh, you're a hundred percent correct about that. Yeah. Oh, but um, don't get me wrong; they're worse. Uh, I'm. You know, um, it's just it's funny because they feel like they. I don't know. It feels like what it is. Do you know what I mean? It feels like like the Fox News version of that thing. You know, it's like, a it's a ratings powerhouse too, baby. They don't they they're beating everyone in the late night talk show space except for Colbert right now. Well, conservatives are just starved for good comedy, man. It's like they're, putting, it. they're they're torturing themselves to fucking own the libs. It's so funny. It's like they, it's Dude, the end I don't. I got to be honest with you. I bet a lot of that really genuinely does slay for people. For their audience, I mean. Like, I bet a lot of it fucking plays, and they really dig it. <laughs> Trey, you watch longer clips of it. Like, he, like he can't even get laughs from his crew and the writers. His audience is just the crew and the yeah, writers. but the crew is like, those are people who, like, took a job or whatever, I guess. A lot of I'm just saying, I, I remember people that I worked with in, like, their particular senses of humor and whatnot. And I feel like they don't, they would, like, they would sit there and laugh at the punchline because it's like, this is the part where you laugh right here. Do you know what I mean? And yeah. like laugh really hard. Even do you know what I'm saying? Like they would, they're so dug into what they supposed to think about stuff <laughs> that like they would, I bet you it's crushing some Republican households out there. That's all I'm saying. Kim Cusato says Republicans can't do comedy or satire. They should just stick to fear. They're really good at making the weak minded afraid. I mean, yeah, hundred percent. They are the, they, their first ballot hall of fame fear mongers. That's what they do, baby. Well, like, look, I, from someone who's worked on talk shows and worked on political talk shows, uh, uh, like, they start from the wrong premise. They watch a show like John Oliver and think that they're starting with a liberal point of view and working backwards, and they're absolutely not. They, they, if you can't make one of that shit funny, they won't do it. They've got a bunch of episodes in the can. They're doing the funniest shit. And, like, Oliver will do whole segments where he just makes fun of mascots. He's not just doing political shit. So, like, they, they're already shooting themselves in the foot by thinking that's how this stuff works. They don't even understand how a TV show normally works. So there, it's just, it, it's, it's a bad. Yeah. Yep. Annette Williams says conservative comedy is an oxymoron. The batshit crazy beliefs of conservatives are more hilarious than any joke they could write. Yeah. They definitely have a whole lot of, uh, self parody going on. You well, know. I, I'll, I'll say this. I, I know that's a general, t- I don't think it's necessarily true. I, I, the, the bulk of stand up comedy is inherently kind of conservative in some, like the, the, the most common joke in stand up is, these kids today are soft and suck, right? Mm-hmm. That's 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 the essence, the core essence of most stand-up comedy, and it works. A lot of guys are really, really good at it, and it makes me laugh a lot of the times. I watch Bill Burr do a five-minute bit about how vegans are pussies. I watch it; it's funny as shit to me. Uh, it doesn't it doesn't sway my politics, <laughs> but the idea that conservatives are there are a lot of funny conservatives. They just don't make their whole life about being conservatives. Do you know what I'm saying? It's like it's the whole dude, act. There's definitely yeah. plenty of, yeah, there's definitely funny conservatives out there. And what you just said <laughs> is 100% true. But I think that like when you try to make the sort of like conservative version of The Daily Show or of Bill Maher or something or whatever, mm-hmm. it, you run into that like, <laughs> I don't know. It. I feel like it's hard for them to do it without just being racist or homophobic or whatever in a lot of yeah. regard. You know what I mean? And like that's just you get into punching down when you're doing that. You know what I mean? It's like, it just doesn't, I don't know. It just don't work I mean, the same way. Like we, like, you know, we've like, well, I don't think we showed any on the show and, and don't need to, but you know, my cousin, he's not my actual cousin, Steven Crowder. We've uh, shared clips of his in our group chat recently. Cause he does like, he does comedy bits on his show and they're like, it's just, I mean, it's just saying racist things. Like, yeah. that's pretty much what it amounts to. It's just like saying racist stereotypes about black people or Mexicans or whatever. And that's like, that's what the joke ends up being, you know? And it's just, that ain't, 
But even that, dude, there's, you know what I'm, even, that, even that's not an excuse because there's plenty of like, quote, racist jokes that are hilarious that other comedians have done. Oh, okay, Trey. <laughs> no, no, no. I mean, bits. I'm talking about like Dave, you know, Dave Chappelle or Tom Segura or whoever yeah. have done, they've all, like, there's humor you could do about race that yeah. is stereotypical but hilarious because it's just yeah. better. It's done better. But when you just get into just saying, you know, like, Oh, is it time to play basketball now? You know, in a this is what black person Sesame Street would be like sketch. That's a real thing from Stephen yeah. Crowder. That Sesame That's Street like, sketch was horrifying. Like what yeah. it was like they introduced the first two black Muppets and he dubbed over the audio and it was like just like stereotypes from like nineteen seventy three. It doesn't even right. it doesn't even hang Never together. It doesn't hang together as a it's bit. Basketball time, it's fucking you know, yeah. whatever. Like literally just that type of shit. And those were like the jokes. So yeah, not a lot of redeeming qualities to it. M.A. Ross says, because punching down isn't funny, and that is one of the generally agreed upon principles of comedy. Yeah, that's one of the rules. Yeah, I mean, like, you you know, again, I don't think sometimes. there are any hard, there, <laughs> yes, there aren't any hard and fast rules. You can always yeah. find something that breaks them, because if it's funny enough, it's fine, but that's the problem they run into, is they that's the, ain't funny enough. They're not funny that, enough to do the things they're trying to do. That is the essence of it, is if if Greg Gutfeld was actually funny, he wouldn't be on Fox. He'd be playing Madison Square Garden to a mainstream audience. And he's not funny enough to survive outside that bubble right. with a crutch of people that think six-year-old Brian Williams jokes are funny. That's yep. that's really the reality. Well, there you have it. You heard it here last, everybody. Conservatives struggle with comedy. Uh, thank you for joining us. On this week's edition of Weekly Skews, we'll be back in seven days. It'll be a good time. See you. Love you. Bye.